I would like for us to turn our Bibles to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to launch our reading at verse 2. If you do not have a tangible Bible, it is okay. It will be projected for you on the screens. Everybody watching online, it will be on the lower thirds. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2. Once you're there, would you shout at your boy as loud as you can? I'm here. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, speaking of Elijah, saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith. The brook Cherith put a mental bookmark there, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded, I have commanded. The repetition is on purpose. I have commanded. This is another spot. I want you to put a bookmark. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Somebody say, God got him. He drank from the brook, and this is my problem. This is the part that messes me up. Verse 7 says, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up (laughs) because there had been no rain in the land. Our, Our verses of importance and our clause of concern this afternoon that might come off a little perplexing. It might even come off a little contradictory until we exegete this. You might be confused if you read it only at the surface. Verses of emphasis. First is verses two and three where God tells Elijah, get away from here. Go eastward. So Elijah's like, okay, I'm going eastward. Now hide yourself by the brook Cherith. So Elijah's like, okay, I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm at where God told me to go. And I'm following God's directions. But the part that doesn't make sense to me is verse 7 where it says, and it happened after a while, the brook dried up. I'm like, okay, I'm just listening to what God told me to do. I'm just following the direction that God told me to follow. And he led me to this brook only to let it dry up. Church, why would God lead you to a place to only let your provisions dry up? See, the command was scary enough as it is. Y'all probably just read it, but the art of good preaching is to make you feel like you're experiencing what Elijah felt. He said, go to the brook. He's saying, don't try to farm. Don't try to hustle. Don't try to grind. Don't try to fish. Don't worry about how you're going to be sustained. Just trust me. Don't worry about how you're going to be provided for. Just trust me. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I'm putting you in a season, hear me, I'm putting you in a season where you can't provide for yourself. I'm putting you in a season where I'm stripping away everything that you thought was making ways for you. I'm putting you in a season where I'm not just your source, but I'm your resource and your source. I'm putting you in a season where you have to trust me. Because watch this, y'all, the brook was natural provision. But the birds were supernatural provision. <laughs> I love when the Bible connects. Now it makes sense why the sanctuary got turned up last week when I told you, find a bird. Now it makes sense when Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, look to the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, but yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? That makes sense because we see God saying the same language way over in 1 Kings chapter 17. He's saying, Elijah, look to the birds. Don't worry 
about how you're going to eat because I have commanded. I want y'all to see verse four. He's saying, Elijah, I have commanded the birds to feed you. This is just a reminder of God's generalship and his sovereignty. He's so much God where he's like, ever so often I want to show you that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. I command the wind and I also command the birds. See, I think sometimes God is like, okay, when you don't look to the birds, I know how to command the bird to fly your way. Some of us are never going to look at a bird the same again. He said, listen, when you don't look to the birds, I know how to command the birds to fly your way to remind you I'm faithful. So for my daughter, who's in a place where she's starting to doubt God's timing, she's not looking to a bird, but God said, you know what? I'm going to command a bird to fly past her. For Elijah, the birds were commanded to feed him bread and meat. But for her, the birds are going to feed you trust. Trust my timing because I command the birds. I'm going to keep going until you get it. For my brother who is struggling, and he's like, I'm not looking to the birds. God said, that's okay, I'm gonna command a bird. I'm gonna command a bird to fly past you so when you feel doubt, when you feel insecurity, you're gonna look to me because I command the birds. Elijah, go by the brook Cherith, and I will hide you there. Why would God lead him? to a place and let his provision run out. He says, I'm going to put you in a situation, Elijah, where you're required to look to me and depend only on me to sustain you. I'm going to strip everything away from you, and I'm going to put you in a season where you're required to trust that I'm going to hide you from King Ahab. I'm going to put you in a season. I'm talking prophetically to somebody. I'm going to put you in a season where you have to look to me. Whenever you're anointed, whenever you have been marked for a mission, whenever you have been summoned for a work, whenever you have been given divine authorization to complete an assignment in the earth, God will always give you a cherith. I'm speaking prophetically to somebody. God will give you a cherith season. I'm going to heal you. Not them, I'm going to do it. This is your cherith. I'm going to restore you. Not them, I'm going to do it. This is your cherith. I'm going to hide you. It's not that you're not grinding enough and your ads aren't working. I'm grinding you on purpose because you are in a cherith season. This is why it feels no doors are opening. This is why it feels nobody's reaching out. You don't even recognize I'm hiding you on purpose. You are in a cherith season. I want to hide you. I want to build you. God wants to deal with our immaturity, because please hear me, y'all, internal immaturity affects your decision-making. You grown, but you childish. Y'all not talking to me. <laughs> you're grown, but you're childish, because children make decisions based on what they want right now. And then they will get upset at the parent if the parent doesn't give them what they want right now. I want to eliminate that childish behavior. I want to deal with your immaturity because your decisions are the paintbrush which will draw on the canvas of your destiny. And I want you to have a masterpiece, not a horror film. I want to give you wisdom, and I get it. Okay, God wants to build us. All right. God wants to grow us. I get that. God wants me to stop being petty. I get that. God wants me to stop being ratchet. I get that. But my question still remains, why, why lead me to a place to only let it dry up? I would like to speak from this thought around this subject for part four of our Destiny Decision Series now that I have your attention. <laughs> now that I have your attention. Oh, I'm going to get your attention when that brook starts to dry up. I have your attention now. See, I want you to think about how you would be if you were Elijah. Think about how nervous you would get if the birds were a little late. 
<laughs> like they came every morning at 7 a.m. At 7 a.m., you heard tweet, tweet. So you, okay, God's doing it. The next morning at 7, tweet, tweet, you good, God's doing it. Could you imagine when they didn't come at 7 one day, but they came at 9? I want you to feel Elijah. You're like, okay, God, where's Tweety? <laughs> okay, what's going on? Could you imagine how the anxiety will start to rise when you stick your hand in the brook and you see that the water is a little more shallow than it was yesterday? Could you imagine? Oh, I believe God is trying to get your attention. Now that I have your attention, how many more brooks does God have to dry up until it gets your attention? How many more emotional choices and decisions are we going to make that places us in recovery seasons and watch this retain seasons until God gets your attention? How many more nights are you going to toss and turn and label it as insomnia? And God is saying, this is not insomnia. This is an invitation. It's time for us to talk. All day long, you are focused on him. All day long, you are fo focused on her. All day long, you are focused on them and social media. Now, while you can't sleep, let's talk. I need to interrupt that because this is not insomnia. This is an invitation for intercession. Let's talk. Let's talk. How many more times are you going to get in relational context with people who keep stabbing you in the back until you recognize that your preference is I like people who have knives? I'm trying to get you to understand. I want your attention. How many more sermons do you have to hear? How many more sermons and podcasts and videos are you going to hear where the Spirit is tugging at your heart for you to say yes and tugging at your heart for you to surrender and tugging at your heart for you to say, God, I'm done. I give up my way. Here's the white towel. God, whatever you want to do. How many more sermons must you hear? Because please hear me. Whenever God does not have your attention, he will begin to disturb what does. Now that I have your attention see and the beauty of this is whenever we give God our attention he will always exceed your expectations <laughs> talk Holy Spirit the byproduct of giving God your undivided attention is he is going to exceed your expectations father in this moment we are asking for you to forgive us for being so distracted by stuff that does not even matter. God, forgive us for being so focused on what the news is saying and people getting slapped and we got so much to say about that, but we slapping you with our lifestyles. God, would you help us to get to a place where we stop being so distracted? But you have our undivided attention. You have our focus. You have our mind. You have our rights. You have our will. Help us to surrender. God, in this moment, we repent for looking to other things to sustain us. Versus you being Jehovah Jireh, our provider. It's easy for us to say that. But giving us a brook Cherith helps us know that. In Jesus' name, we honor you and we love you. Anoint my lips to be the PA system, the oracle, oracle of heaven. We ask that you do it. And everybody who agrees with that prayer would just shout in the room, amen. 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 I like y'all in the back. Over here on my right side, I like y'all. <laughs> it's confession time. Can I get everybody to say this? And everybody watching online, can I get you to put this in the room in all caps? Can I get us to say, Father, sharpen my focus and cleanse my heart so for the rest of my days you have my undivided attention one more time father sharpen my focus and cleanse my heart so for the rest of my days you have my undivided attention would you put your hands together if you receive that for the rest of my days you have my undivided attention. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we are now in lesson number four. Installment number four of this 
saturated in wisdom, hidden different, coming for your life and your lace front. <laughs> I want to provide you wisdom so that you don't have to say in seasons longer than you have to sermon series. That was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> Entitled Destiny Decisions. And our passage of scripture, our foundational text is loaded with preaching potential. Because I believe there are two sectors of people in the house. There are two classisms of people in this sacred space and watching online this afternoon. First, we have type A. These are the type of people who feel as though they have arrived. Yeah. These are the type of people who have never been a poor serial decision maker. These are the individuals who actually have a tendency to look down on others for their shortcomings, their, their, their failures, their flaws, their inadequacies, their unhealthy choices. But oop, they catch a bad case of amnesia when it comes to the resume of their own historical choices. Can I get somebody to say that's type A? Type a. Yeah, type A. These are the people who they will judge others for what came out on them. But truth be told, they used to, or uh-oh, they still do. God don't want to talk to me. They used to, or they still do, the same stuff that came out on them. The only difference is yours hasn't gone public. The only difference is yours wasn't recorded, uploaded, and posted. That's the only difference. They've always had wisdom. They've always made destiny decisions. And these people are so goofy to me because it's like, they scuba dive in the spiritual, but then they snorkel in the practical. <laughs> so like, they can exegete scripture but can't manage a budget. Ooh, they deep, right? <laughs> they real, like, PhD in religion, but GED in love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, PhD in church, GED in life. Post scriptures and biblical content on social media, but they mean in real life. <laughs> type A, type A, like where, where they do that at though? Oh, I'm about to step on somebody's toes. And I noticed that these type of people always like to be life coaches and relationship experts. What in the world is that? I'm not knocking your hustle or your grind. I'm just convinced we should be able to look at your life and tell your advice works. That's all I'm saying. That's, I'm not judging. As a matter of fact, I kind of am. Because Jesus says, judge a tree by the fruit it bears. You got all this advice, but you don't apply it on you? Like the byproduct of applied wisdom is fruit, not post. Did y'all hear what I just said? The byproduct of somebody who's living a life that is applying wisdom is fruit, not post and following. <laughs> it's like they're closed-minded to the reality that we all need Jesus. We all need the blood of Jesus. I need the blood of Jesus just like the pastor, and I need the blood of Jesus just like the stripper. I need the blood of Jesus just like the evangelist, and I need the blood of Jesus just like the prostitute. We all need the blood. And it's like they're, they're close-minded to that reality. And this is just what irritates me. If it doesn't irritate you, y'all pray for me, stretch your hands, I need y'all to intercede. But this is just what irritates me about close-minded people. Their mouth is always open. I'm like, can you pick a struggle? How you gonna have a closed mind but an open mouth? I'm just, I'm just convinced it is better for you to be silent and perceived as a fool than for you to talk and validate that assumption. Somebody say that's type A. But, but, but type B is probably the rest of us. We're like, okay, I'm not ashamed to admit I made some bad choices. I'm not ashamed to admit I haven't been the, like the holiest in the room. Don't let this suit and tie fool you. Don't let this blouse and skirt fool you. Don't let this drip fool you. Don't let these cardigans and Jordans fool you. I used to be a mess. And if I could be honest, I don't know if y'all ready for this. Sometimes I still have messy moments. <laughs> I still have messy moments. This is why I'm thankful for the blood of the Messiah. 
I need the blood on my life when I'm right, and I need the blood on my life when I'm wrong. I need the blood on my life when I'm walking straight, and I need the blood on my life when I'm walking a little crooked. I need the blood on my life when I'm smiling, and I need the blood on my life when I'm crying. I'm not too proud to admit I need an all-sufficient savior. I need a good shepherd to lead me behind still waters and restore my soul. I've got to a place where I love the rod and the staff of God. The rod is for correction and the staff is for direction. I need my good shepherd. Can I get somebody in the room to say I need him? I need him. I came here this afternoon to debunk the lies of the enemy who has tried to tell somebody your past is too bad and God cannot use you based on what you have done. For anybody who has been hit by life's gut punch and it left you shaken, I want you to know that earthquakes can form mountains. Did y'all hear what I just said? Earthquakes can form mountains. Yes, it shook you, but you're going to grow from this. Yes, it hurts you, but you're going to grow from this. Yes, it almost took you out, but you're going to grow from this. One of the biggest mistakes the enemy has ever done is let you to continue to have breath. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to learn from this. What you have gone through is a survival guide for somebody behind you. So you could tell them, this is what I did. This is how I made it through. This is how I got over that divorce. This is how I got through a pandemic. This is how I got through a crisis. This is how I got through pain. What if what you were going through was for somebody else's survival guide? God loves you and he loves me so much where he says, okay, let's do a series saturated in wisdom. Because I'm tired of my children blaming me for harvest that they sowed. See, it's getting quiet now, right? I'm tired of my people questioning my reality because they're reaping harvests that they have sowed. So, so let's dedicate up until about resurrection, maybe even Mother's Day, a series where I could teach my children how to have wisdom so that you don't make choices from ignorance and broken systems. God wants to give us wisdom, 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 wisdom. I've been praying, I said, God, let the spirit of wisdom breathe on this series. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. It's a scholarship that you receive for free off of somebody else's expense. Wisdom, wisdom. It helps you skip unnecessary seasons. Wisdom, wisdom. It is the professor of brilliance. Wisdom, wisdom. It helps you choose routes that make you miss toll roads, meaning you're not going to have to pay from that decision with your mental health. You're not going to have to pay from that decision with your eternal peace. I want to give you wisdom, wisdom. It is the shade that keeps us from being burnt by the heat of foolishness. Wisdom, wisdom. It is the security deposit for your destiny. Wisdom. I'm going to give you a Bible. Y'all can see this. Look at this. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12. Somebody shout wisdom. wisdom. It says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride. And I hate arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles and all who rule on the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor. Look at this, y'all. Enduring wealth. Not just wealth for a season and it fleets, but for, with me is enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the path of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full a rich inheritance. Wisdom is not just for you, it's for your children. 
a lot of us right now are affected by our parents' foolishness. See, it's getting real now. So just think, if you are affected by your parents' foolishness, just imagine how your children can be affected by your wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I need wisdom in my decision-making. Listen, y'all, so that when I face hard situations, does this mean turn the page or does this mean close the book? I need wisdom to help me make that decision. I don't want to make choices that reserve for me to have a seat at the banquet of consequence. I need wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I need wisdom so that when I feel the resistance, is this, does this mean like I need to try harder, grind harder, push harder? Or is this what we learned last week? The spirit is blocking you. You want to go to Asia, Providence. No, I need you to go to Macedonia. I need, I need wisdom so that I could, I could discern which decision to make in your life is filled with choices. But, this, but destiny decisions, you may only have like seven of them. You may only have like seven. You're filled with choices. But destiny decisions... Like where you go to church, that's a destiny decision. It's getting quiet now. Who you say I do to, who you call him bae or boo, that's a destiny decision. You hook up with her because she has a fine body, but she doesn't know how to honor your name. She's going to have a lot of mini hers running around. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? You talking about him being your head? So does that mean he's going to catapult you or be a capsule to you? I need wisdom. So that I could understand. Or how about this? I, I, I need wisdom in the area of my decision making so that I could know, am I making a right decision or am I trying to make my decision right? It didn't hit y'all, so let me say it again. Am I making a right decision or am I trying to make my decision right? Have you, tried, have you ever tried to make what you choose be right? I'm going to love them into being God's will. You think so? Where we are right now is due to a compilation of our decisions. Where you will be tomorrow, next week, and in a few months is also due to a compilation of your decisions. And you telling me you want to make choices absent of wisdom? I need wisdom to help me know when I'm before a Red Sea, God's going to make a way. Or does this mean go back to Egypt. So many of us are trying to go back and create a new beginning. And I'm trying to let you know, no, learn from that, create a new ending. However, there is a breach. There is a barrier as I was studying and wondering why God is taking us this route. There is a breach and there's a barrier on why we are not making healthy, holistic, destiny-conducive decisions, and that is due to our internal systems. Our internal systems. A system is a framework that you have learned how to function in. They're systems that are holding us hostage so we're not making choices from a place of wisdom. We're making choices from our systems. See, look, my parents taught me more is caught than taught. Okay? More is caught than taught. Like our, like our childhood, for example. In the household that you were raised in, there was a system. You didn't ask for it. You didn't have to apply for it, but there's a system. There was something that you caught that wasn't necessarily taught. It's a system you caught. And so what happens is we end up walking through life carrying this system, working with people with this system, doing ministry with people with this system, sometimes even marrying a person. But what we have to understand is when you say I do to them, you also said I do to their system. I'm trying to get, listen. You said I do to whatever they caught. 
Okay? It's a system. I used to wonder, why do people take the hard route? I used to just, why, why do you take the hard route? Until I recognized, due to certain systems we have, you can't even see two routes. You only see one. <laughs> this is so real, it's getting quiet, which lets me know, keep putting your foot on the gas, Holy Ghost. You don't even see wisdom and folly. You just see folly due to the system. Systems of dysfunction and, and systems of trauma and systems of fear. The heart will feed on fear when you don't intentionally feed it faith. It's systems, y'all. Systems have become the linebacker to wisdom. So when I try to give you wisdom, your system is in linebacker position. I know it's more like this. Ready to block the wisdom because of the system. Like, like when, how often can you recall your mother saying, I'm sorry? I should have saved that one for Mother's Day, huh? <laughs> like how often... Can you recall your daddy saying, I missed it, son. I missed it, baby girl. I was wrong. How often has your mother apologized to you? And you wonder why it's hard for you to be corrected? You wonder why it's hard for somebody to disciple you? You wonder why it's hard for somebody to hold you accountable? It's a system. It's a framework in which you have learned how to function. And it's affecting your decision making. You, you wonder why you curse so much? Like some of us, when you get scared, it's, oh, bleep, it just comes out. I'm trying to be real, y'all. You just talk, you just like curse and curse and curse. I mean, you curse for no reason. If the food good, this is some good bleep. If the movie's, oh, this is some good, just curse and curse. <laughs> and you wonder, like, why, why I can't it stop cursing? Did you notice the household that you grew up in? The adjectives and the verbs were profanity? Ooh, let me put my foot on the gas some more. What about your playlist, though? I can't stop cursing, but you getting cursed out talking about, I like this mug. <laughs> what about what you keep binging on Netflix? Wonder why you can't stop cursing, but your favorite show curses you out. Now, you would slap somebody if they curse you out like that, but you wonder why I can't stop cursing? Why is this language so familiar to me? It's a system, y'all. A framework in which you have learned how to function. What about the system of substance dependence? Alcohol dependence. This is something God revealed to me during study. He said, I need them to know sometimes you're not just addicted to the substance. You're addicted to trying to escape realities. Preach, Holy Ghost. You are addicted to escaping realities. You run from everything that's hard. But you do it in the form of alcohol. You do it in the form of weed. Y'all not talking to me. It's a system. It's a framework, and the Holy Spirit is trying to show us today your systems are affecting your decisions. Can I get real? What about the system of doubt? We doubt. You know where that came from? Inconsistent caregivers. It came from people telling you, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be there. Just call me. And it's just a pattern of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. So now it has constructed a system of doubt. So when I say God wants to use you, I doubt it. God can still call me. I'm doubting. God can still use me no matter way. I doubt it. I doubt it. It's a system, y'all. It's a system. And God wants us to see your systems are getting in the way of your decisions. This is why I keep saying throughout this series, if you could trace it, you can unlearn it. So one of the reasons that God leads us to a cherith is to address your system. This is so powerful, y'all. Cherith 
in the Hebrew. This just took me out, Jared. When I was reading this, Cherith in the Hebrew means a cutting off, cutting away, or separation. It's powerful. So really God told Elijah, go to a place where I can cut some things off. Go to a place where I can cut some things away. Go to a place where I can separate you. Your Cherith is for God to deal with your system because your system is dealing with you. And you wonder why, it's just me, y'all may not have done this. Have y'all ever made a choice and you were like, what was I thinking? Let me make it more relatable. Have y'all ever looked back on an ex and y'all like, what in the whole Holy Ghost? What was I thinking? They not even that like, what was I thinking? with me it's a system it's a system I, I need to deal with your systems all throughout the fabric of scripture whenever somebody has a purpose or an assignment God always gave them a cherith for Moses Moses cherith you can put it on a screen Carl Moses' Cherith experience looked like a burning bush. It was his Cherith where God separated him from the Egyptians and he separated from Hebrew. I'm kind of Egyptian, but then I kind of relate to the Hebrews. I don't really know which one I am and God gave him a Cherith experience, a bush that doesn't burn up, it's going to get your attention. He said, Moses, first thing God told him, he said, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. The place that you're at is holy ground. And I'm thinking, what does his sandals have to do with, with his cherith? I'm thinking, okay, was that a holy piece of dirt this to the end? And God was like, don't mess up my carpet. Like, what, what, what's the point? Like, they didn't have J's back then. They had, like, like early Bible year sandals. So I'm thinking Moses probably had calluses. He probably had corns. He could have had fungus. I mean, he's walking on rocks with some sandals. And then I think God gave me the revelation. When I told him to take off his sandals, I'm saying, come before me bare. Barefoot. Everything you walk through, come here. Everything you've been through, come here. Your callous places, come here. Your hard places, come here. The dirt that's still on you, come here. The manure that's still on you, come here. Come here with all of your filth. And this is holy ground. There's a destiny I have for you. And I need to introduce it to you. And the way he did it was through a cherith. A season in your life where God's cutting away, cutting off, and separating you to prepare you for your mission. All throughout the fabric of scripture, there are icons after icons. Joseph, y'all remember when he went to prison? Let's put this prison on the screen. Joseph had a cherith that looked like this. See, one of the ways you know that you're in a cherith season is when your place doesn't match your faithfulness. Because prisons are for punishment. But Joseph didn't do anything wrong. So anytime you're in a place or a season that feels like punishment, it's for development. I'm trying to help somebody. Whenever you're in a place that feels like, what did I do to get here? I don't deserve this. Whenever you're in a place that feels like punishment, it's for development. I'm going to prove it to you. Let me give you Bible. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. It says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. Please be careful who you tell your dreams to. 
they already hated him, but the text says they hated him all the more. Some people hate you more because of your dream. Oh, I got an entrepreneur idea. Hold on, before you tell them, they might be a hater, and that might just make them hate more. Listen to this dream I had. We had sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while y'all little sheaves gathered around and bowed down to mine. <laughs> His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Look at this, y'all. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Listen, so they don't just hate you for being a dreamer. They don't just hate you for the dream, but they hate you for their place in your dream. <laughs> Talk, Holy Ghost. All right, look, look, let me give you more Bible. Okay, Genesis chapter 40. This is when Joseph is in prison now. Verse 8, it says, we have both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, 10, saw a vine in front of me, verse 10, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and a clustered of ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, but the cup is in his hand. This is what the dream means. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, lift your head, and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. What's important with Genesis 37 to Genesis 40 and him being in prison? In Genesis 37, Joseph was having dreams. In his cherith, he was interpreting dreams. Your cherith develops your gift. I'm not just dreaming anymore. I'm dreaming and interpreting them. I'm developing what I put on the inside of you for your assignment. All throughout the fabric of scripture, we see biblical icon after biblical icon. Even David. David in a pasture. In a David had a palace anointing, but a pasture placement. <laughs> Even in the pasture, I want y'all to see every single cherith looks different, but they all serve the same purpose. What is your cherith? And can you discern when God is cutting something away, cutting something off? and separating you, not for punishment, but for development. This is so good, y'all. So I wanna go even deeper so you guys can get it. I want y'all to see this chart, okay? This is a chart that I want you guys to see, okay? So what we have is influences, decisions, patterns, and systems, okay? Your Influences influence your decisions. A lot of us are under the influence of fear. You are under the influence of trauma. You are under the influence of bad doctrine. And so what that does is it makes your decisions be based from a place of fear. Is this making sense? It makes your decisions be based from a place of bad doctrine. So yes, you know Bible, but you're mean to people. That's bad doctrine. You are under the influence of something. And that influence has caused your decisions to become a pattern. And this is why I stated so many times for everybody under the sound of my voice who feels stuck, you're not stuck, you're committed. You're not stuck. You're committed to a pattern that keeps you in a cycle. 
You are committed to a pattern that keeps you in a system. And so how we get frustrated is we pray for God, change my system. Free me from porn. That's your system. Free me from thinking everybody going to hurt me. That's your system. Free me from lust. That's your system. Free me from anger. That's your system. But what God does is he always goes to the root. If you want, see, you know what many of us do? Y'all going to have to follow me, Cameron, because I'm going to walk back and forth. A lot of us pray for God to deliver us from the system, but keep dating the influence. I'm not even talking about relationship. I'm talking about just hanging with what influences it. We're saying, God, free me from the system, but you're binging the influence. And then you wonder why you can't make, keep making foolish decisions. But you're frustrated with the system, and you're tired of the pattern, and you want wisdom in your decisions, but you never addressed the influences. Never addressed it. I'm teaching today, y'all. Last week we shouted. This week I want us to learn something. And so your cherith is God's, okay. What mama did is influence on how you make decisions. That's influence on that. Forgive her. Forgive her. Because until you do, it'll affect your decision that keeps you in a pattern that keeps on strengthening your system. Let me give you a Bible. Y'all not convinced. Carl, I want to show Luke chapter 13. I didn't give this to you, so I'm going to just read this. I'm sorry about that. I didn't give that to you. I want to read this to y'all. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. It's something that hit me this morning on the way to church when I was thinking about this. This is Jesus talking, Luke chapter 13, verse 6. He says, and he told him this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look now, for three years I have been coming to seek fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it keep on using the ground? And he answered and said, sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it and put manure on it. (laughs) It's fertilizer. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well, good. But if not, cut it down. He said, okay, maybe this tree is not being fruitful because of its influences. So let me dig around the tree where I could see if there's some influences, some decisions, and some patterns that's affecting it from not having a fruitful system. And how I'm going to help it is I'm going to put manure on it. (laughs) So good, y'all. That's crap, y'all. That's doo-doo, boo-boo, a number two. (laughs) Look at this, look at this. So God says, I'm going to put fertilizer on them they're going to grow from this crappy situation. They're going to grow from this crappy pandemic. They're going to have a prayer life from this crappy situation at the end. They don't like it, but it's going to help them grow. So good, y'all. So the reason my influences are not in a way I want them to produce my systems is because we resist the Cherith season. See, now watch this. You know what? When we're in the cherished season, you know what Satan tells you? You're lonely. He tries to get you to label your burning bush, your prison, whatever your cherith looks like. He tries to get you label it, to label it as loneliness so you can make decisions that will try to get you out of this lonely place. But God is trying to get you to understand right now your systems are sabotaging your decisions and there's a calling on your life that's bigger than you. It's bigger than your following. It's bigger than what you think. It's for your unborn children. It's for your generation. It's for the kingdom. It's not loneliness. Yeah, I just feel so empty. Could the reason you feel so empty? Because God has literally emptied out everything in your life that you were using to try to replace him? I feel so empty. Good. I've emptied out your influences, your decisions, and your patterns because I'm addressing your system. 
I believe this is one of the main reasons why God gives us a cherith. Elijah, we're talking about one of the most prolific, profound, powerful prophets of the Old Testament. Like you know you a dope prophet when you go to the king and say, it's not going to rain again unless I say so. Like I feel pretty close to God, but I don't feel close enough to go to the president and say, hey, look, bro, it's not going to rain again until I say so. <laughs> you, you know that you're a dope prophet when you don't even die, but like you're caught up by fiery chariots. <laughs> like God do that for me. Just says, okay, I'm going to send you to a place that is seasonal. Listen, y'all, seasonal, seasonal. So now it makes sense why the brook dried up. It was seasonal. I wonder who under the sound of my voice has gotten comfortable in that which was supposed to be seasonal. It reminds me of when my wife was pregnant with my daughter. 38 weeks she wasn't coming. 37 weeks she wasn't coming. 39 weeks she wasn't coming. Our doctor said, you know what? This baby girl is going to make me induce labor because she has gotten comfortable. She has gotten comfortable in that which was supposed to be seasonal. I wonder who in the house is in a womb that you've outgrown? You're in a womb that you've outgrown. You know it because your friends and y'all even talk the same. Like you're starting to get annoyed by their jokes. Y'all on a different level. But it is a place where you did grow before. But now you're limited in where you are. So sometimes what God has to do is induce labor. Yeah, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. My doctor, she induced my wife. She dried up her brook. So my baby girl could no longer be comfortable. This is so good, y'all. She could no longer be comfortable in that womb. She had no other choice than to come out. And sometimes God is saying, induce, come out. There's a platform you need to lead. Can I get somebody shout induce? There's a platform you need to lead. There's a generation you need to lead. There's a book you need to write. So right now, I'm going to induce you. Because if I didn't induce you, you would stay where you are. At the brook, Elijah was being fed by ravens. Now, I don't know if you know how big a raven's beak is, but it's not that big. So the epiphany God was giving me was he was getting scraps. And I want to put you in a season, no more scraps. You know the song we used to like, TLC, no more scrubs? How about this one? G-O-D got a new one, no more scraps. No more scraps of a commitment. No more scraps of a prayer life. No more scraps of a marriage. No more scraps of fasting. No more scraps of seeking my face. You're limited here. If Elijah would not have left the brook, he never would have got to the widow's house. If he never would have left the brook, he never would have got on Mark Carmel and show over 400, 450 prophets of Baal that our God is God. If he never would have left the brook, he never would have been able to pass the baton over to Elisha. If he never left the brook, he never would have been in a place to get caught up in a fiery chariot. What are you missing out on because of a brook that God is saying, you need to go. Grow. Grow. So a lot of us, the reason our decisions are the way they are is because we resist the cherith. I've already given us pretty much all my points. Point one was deal with the system. Deal with the system. It might be ugly. It might require for you to have therapy. For some of us, you need to be at the church every time the doors are open. Every event, you need to be there. Not out of any legalism, but because the system is so strong. Biblically speaking, their system is a stronghold. It's an area in your life where the enemy has a stronghold. He's a python. Pythons kill by a stronghold. Deal with the system. Point number two, why does God send us to brooks and why do they dry up? <clears throat> it's to induce you. Induce you. God wants you to grow. And there's a place that we have gotten comfortable in. That God is in. 
This was supposed to be seasonal. You think I planned on feeding you scraps from ravens for the rest of your life? This was supposed to be seasonal. I want y'all to see this. First Kings chapter 17, and we're done. First Kings chapter 17, verse 21. This is after Elijah left the brook. He's speaking to this widow who her baby has died. Verse 17, verse 21 of 1 Kings chapter 17, it says, And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Point number three, the reason God needs us to get out of our brook is because he's ready for revival. If you can't sense it in the earth, it's time for revival. And here's the thing, revival is not an event. It's not us saying, hey, in September, we have three-night revival. Revival is me, it's you, 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 everybody in this sanctuary. You are revival. You are proof that God can raise the dead. So good, y'all. You are proof that God can raise the dead. But if you don't embrace the cherith, if you don't embrace the discomfort, the cutting away, the cutting off, and the separation. There's somebody who needs your testimony. Everybody here, you're proof of that. You're proof of that. When I was on that third row, November of 2019, my parents said, we need to start a service. Nah, <laughs> ain't nobody gonna come out on a Thursday. I didn't see this, but God did. God did. I clapped for myself. I didn't see it. When you're in your chariot season, you don't see what's next. You don't see what's next. God just wants you to know him now. Some of us were so hard on ourselves. God doesn't want perfection. He wants progress. That's perfection. Perfect, like seeking a perfect God where he progressively changes you into the image and likeness of his son. In a conversation with my brother, I said, you're so hard on yourself, man. Think about how you used to be three years ago. I think about you now. It's not perfection, it's progression. but I wanted to be obedient. I know it was more of a sobering word. If y'all haven't learned me by now, I'm always gonna be obedient. I don't care about shouts and applause at the stake of your ignorance. I want us to know God is saying, I'm calling you for greater. But before you can go to Mount Carmel, I have to give you a chair. You're not gonna like it. It's gonna be uncomfortable. You're gonna feel cut off. But when you come out, when you come out, what I'm going to do in your life is going to blow your mind. Because when we give God our full attention, the byproduct is him exceeding your expectations. Can we lift our hands in the air and let's just say a prayer together? Come on, Miss Flowers. I want us to say this prayer because I believe it's in the house. We're just lifting our hands as a sign of surrender. Father, in this moment, we're just simply asking you, forgive us for trying to live lives with our hand on the wheel. Our hands are lifted saying we surrender. Whatever you have to cut, cut. Whatever you have to detox from us, detox from us. It may hurt, but we know that you will give us strength because we learned last week your strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
Whatever system, whatever stronghold, whatever trauma, whatever pain, whatever event in our life is affecting our decision making that's keeping us in a pattern that has strengthened the system where we can't hear your voice, God, would you demolish it? We're praying, God, that this word be like a wrecking ball and tear down every system, every lie, every dysfunction, everything in our life that's keeping us hostage from being the women of God and the men of God that you have called us to be. Even being scared of surrendering the will, God, we trust you. Even being unsure, God, we trust you. Your no, your yes are all submerged in the same amount of love. And your cherith is so that we could be better individuals for you. Give us the faith to trust you even when you're cutting on us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you give God a praise in the room? Hallelujah.